We are going today to conclude our summer series in the book of Proverbs, and we're going to do that in Proverbs chapter 3. So I would say for the last time, turn your Bibles to the book of Proverbs, but uh, even before we go through the sermon, let me just say that if you took nothing else from our time in the Proverbs, I hope that you took a desire to read it more often. One of the challenges of studying and preaching through the Proverbs is that you could never go to the depths of all of them in one time together or even one journey through the Proverbs. And I think that's not just true of a, a time corporately, but I also think that's true of your life. This is not a book that is ever meant to be finished. So uh, go forth and continue in this Instructions for Life uh, series with the Lord for the rest of your life. That said, we are going to end our time. And uh, if you'll notice, we're in Proverbs chapter 3. So it's a little bit like, have you ever been to a concert? I know there's, there's a big concert this week even. I think it was the biggest concert the Idaho Center has ever had, a country singer. Maybe some of you were there. And oftentimes when you go to a concert, it's like you're there for you know, your favorite song. And then they play a bunch of songs that you like but you're really waiting for your favorite song. And at the very end, everyone cheers when they hear the beginning of their favorite song. In some ways, we're going to do that with Proverbs because we're in Proverbs chapter 3. And if you've only heard one proverb in your whole life, maybe I could go so far as to say if you've only heard one Bible verse in your whole life, it may be Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Some of you are like, I actually have that tattoo on my arm right now. Statistically, it's probably more than one of you. (laughs) And so this really is such a, a grand finale end to the book of Proverbs, and it is worth a full examination of it. So any... Anything that becomes, uh, you know, down to a, something that you could boil down to a bumper sticker, you, you have to go to say, what is this really getting at? So let, read along with me. Let's actually start in verse 1 to give a little bit of context to it. And then we are going to use Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 as a way to allow the Lord speak to us and give us uh, something to take beyond just our time in the Proverbs uh, that we've had. So starting in verse 1, it says, My son... Do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. I think that this has become such a foundational verse in the lives of really all of us. I mean, you spend any time around the Bible or or Christian culture and, and you're going to hear this. And I think the reason it's so powerful And it's so worth memorizing and celebrating in any way that you'd like to on the mantle or on your arm is because everything that we've studied in the book of Proverbs, instructions for life, and then looking at all these categories that the Proverbs can speak into to reveal God's design so that you can be blessed. It's all summarized in in what we just read. If you trust God with everything that you are, 
He'll direct your steps. He'll take care of your life. You'll be in good standing with men, and you'll be in good standing with God. It, it really is the crystallization of all of what Proverbs is trying to say. And so, to conclude our series, we could just read that and say, believe it, acknowledge him, be blessed, he'll take care of your life, and use this book as reference to all of the ways that you need to acknowledge him more. The only challenge with leaving that verse right where it stands and saying, yep, I love it, I own it, I'm writing it on my heart, is that to really know if you're trusting God, to really know if you're acknowledging him, you can't just fill out a questionnaire. We can't conclude our sermon series by saying, how many of you have listened to the sermons and agreed with the preaching and read the Proverbs and say, you believe they're correct, and if you raise your hand, then you're acknowledging God and you can go on your way. Because to really know what you believe, your life has to be tested. To understand what your theology is, you actually have to go through some challenging and trying times. And so today we're going to look at this promise, acknowledge him. And remember how it begins. He says, but don't forget everything you've read. Write it on your heart. Why? Why do you have to bound it, bind it around your neck? Because when you leave the sanctuary and when the sermon ends and church gets out and you actually go into life, you're going to need the Proverbs for real life. And in Proverbs chapter 3, what unfolds before us in this promise, this incredible good news that if you trust God's wisdom, he'll take care of your life, we actually get some real life examples of how to trust God. In other words, to put this in kind of a timely package, to end our sermon series in the book of Proverbs, we're going to look at the Proverbs with a lens of a final exam. So some of the college kids are back, some of the students are back in school. So sorry that week one of school you come to church and you hear about final exams, but that's what you're marching towards when you go into school. And that's what all of us are marching towards. You'll only know what's in your heart when your heart is examined by real life. Here's how C.S. Lewis puts it. I love the picture, so track with me because I think it's important for us to get this. Lewis says, if there are rats in the cellar, you are more, most likely to see them if you go in very suddenly. The rats are always in the cellar, but if you go in shouting and noisily, they'll have taken cover before you switch on the light. Isn't that true? It's usually to find a feral animal, you have to startle it, because if they hear you coming, they're going to hide. So life pro tip, to avoid the mice, make a lot of noise and they'll take cover. They don't want to eat you. And it's, so it is with our life. The reason the, the Christian questionnaire doesn't actually work, and we can't just say, this is what I believe, is because we don't know what we believe until we have to live it out. Lewis goes on to say this, what a man does when he has taken off his guard is the best evidence for what sort of a man he is. What comes out before the man has time to put on a disguise is the truth. So now we read Proverbs and we realize that there are a few ways that life will allow you to test yourself by taking you off autopilot. A shift will happen to your life or a challenge or a trial will happen to your life, and what comes out is the real you. And so today, if you're a note taker, we are going to look in Proverbs chapter 3 at the three tests of wisdom, three examinations for us to think about everything that we have been offered by Lady Wisdom to avoid folly, 
and prepare ourselves for when life actually happens. And so to get this, and this is why it's important to just keep reading when you read the Bible, the proverb writer goes immediately into a real-life situation. Look what he says in verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, this is a real-life scenario. To honor and acknowledge God and trust him in all your ways, one of the ways the proverb writer is going to give an examination of that for your life is when the increase comes. And it was a real example that the ancient readers could read and understand what that was because they mostly lived off the land. We don't. But in honor of what this is actually saying, the real-life example is you, you plant, you plow, you wait for the rain, you prune, you do your hard work, and then a harvest comes. And when the harvest brings increase, they were called to take the increase and honor God in an acknowledging way. God, you gave us this. God, you have taken all of the work, and the only way it would have been possible is if you did it. And the proverb writer says, do that, and God will not leave you short. Honoring God with your possessions and your increase, and your barns will still be full, and you'll have plenty of wine still. And now we have to look at that, unless you are a farmer of sorts, and say, what does that mean for us? And this is a, a test that can be categorized in the increases of your life. The first test that we'll look at is the test of success. There's something that exists inside of you right now that really can't come out until you have a little bit of buying power and some free time. <laughs> and the test of success is calling you to honor God with your life after your life has been blessed. And, and th this is for a couple of reasons. One, I mean, all of us have felt the temptation to be desperate for God, as we just sang, cry out to him in the crisis, and then as God heals us and blesses us and repairs the brokenness, we say, okay, God, I got it from here. So in one sense, this is to make sure that we don't become fickle people in our relationship with God. In all our ways means in all our seasons. Our vow to honor God is a vow in better and in worse. But as always, the Proverbs have more to it than just helping us avoid being fickle in our response to the goodness of God. Add this proverb to honoring God with our possessions. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 16. The labor of the righteous leads to life. The wages of the wicked to sin. What this is telling us is that prosperity, increase, when the payday comes, what is already in you will now have room to come out of you. If you are someone who has been absorbing the wisdom of God and you understand the, your place in the economy of God, that he is great and you would be humbled by his goodness to your life, then your increase leads to more life. And the danger is that there are rats in the basement in all of our lives. There are things in our lives that once we get a little success, it says that your wages can also pay for your sin. And you see this example in all sorts of ways that money, oftentimes, more money does make more problems. 
Because now people who were limited by their buying power are limited in their ability to sin very well. Now they can do it more, Proverbs chapter 16 says. Now they have the ability to acknowledge something other than God and their desperate need for help. And so in our acknowledgement of God, he says, when you get success, honor him. Be ready, no matter what happens, when God blesses you, be ready with first fruit to honor him so that you're walking towards more life and you are not allowing this to be a cause for you to take the reins of your life again. We live in a world where grain sacrifices or fruit, vegetable, meat sacrifices are not something that are full on display. So, but there are ways that we can see the world in its way of acknowledging when you get some success, when you win the game, when you have a career accolade. I, I, I look at the offering of our world outside of the religious context in the context of the acceptance speech. You won the game. Your career is blessed. You've made the best movie. You're the best actor. You're the best musician. Who do you honor then? And in the acceptance speech of life, there is the moment that they get to show you who they're acknowledging. And my favorite acceptance speech for its honesty and not in its merit. But in its honesty, it shows us the temptation we would all have to make the wrong acknowledgement comes from a, a musician. I want to read it to you. He's a musician that was getting his star on the walk of fame. Read along with me. I want to thank me for believing in me. I want to thank me for doing all this hard work. I want to thank me for having no days off. I want to thank me for never quitting. I want to thank me for always being a giver and giving more than I receive. I want to thank me for doing more right than wrong. I want to thank me for being me at all times. You can see the name of the quote is Calvin Brodus. Does anyone know who that is? In the house, again, Snoop Dogg. This is Snoop Dogg receiving his accolades. And the moment where he gets to tell everyone who to acknowledge, he's acknowledging himself. I find it ironic that he finishes by saying, I want to thank me for always being me. And he's mostly known as a fake name. He isn't always himself. In fact, as you consider everything that he thanked about himself, he's revealing the danger in what the Bible would call self-idolatry. Because in every way he's thanking himself, he's revealing self-idolatry being self-delusion. He thanks himself for believing in himself and for doing more right than wrong and for always giving more than he got and for never quitting and never taking days off. And of course, he did all of those things imperfectly. And he, like all of us, are a product of the time and the place that God has put us in with the mind and the giftings that he has given to us underneath the grace that we all receive from him to do anything at all. It is his breath that we breathe. And in the acceptance speeches of our lives, it is tempting when the test of success comes to not be as honest as Snoop Dogg, but to be just as sincere. And when you go from the desperate pleas of the sanctuary when you know you need God to the blessings of God, it is very tempting to say, well, this part was actually me. When the business is booming, that part was you. And when the family is doing well and everything is in order and your career is going well, there is a human inclination to begin to acknowledge self. 
And it's a danger for all of us. And wisdom will be tested. Your ability to avoid foolishness that will turn into self-delusion is to acknowledge who actually gives you anything at all, whether you have a lot or you have a little. For this example, I, I share my favorite acceptance of honor, in the form of a movie at least, um, and it comes from one of my favorite movies. I've modeled much of my life after the main character, Forrest Gump, such a simpleton, not a smart man, knows what love is. I love that line. And if you've seen the movie, you'll know that at one point he is drafted to go fight in Vietnam. And as he's leaving, the love of his life says to him, if you get in any trouble, just run. And a kind of a theme of his life. If you get in trouble, run. Well, he does get in trouble. He falls under enemy fire, and he's getting blitzed by bombs coming from overhead, and he starts to run, and as he's leaving and fleeing the battlefield, he starts picking up bodies that were wounded, and he saves many soldiers' lives. And he comes back after his tour of duty, and he is honored with the highest honor in our entire country, the Medal of Honor. And he takes it, takes it off his neck, and he finds Jenny, and he says, I want to give this to you. She says, I can't take that. And he goes, I only got it by doing what you told me to do. And that is a picture of acknowledging God in all of our ways. The first fruit of the land, the increase of your life, the success and the blessing that no doubt God has granted all of you just by nature of living in this beautiful city that he has placed you in. You only have what you have because God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And you only have the good things in your life because you're living by the design that he created you to live in to receive them. So in your success, before it comes, before the next wave of increase comes, know the test is waiting for you. And be humbled that God, the God of the universe, blesses you. And when it comes out of the ground, you acknowledge him. Say, God, I only have what I have because you gave it to me. And that will bring us to the second test, which I so appreciate as we go through this. Lest this be a message on Reaping and sowing, and with faith and wisdom, you will always have moments of prosperity and times of blessing. You can't outgive God. Because, of course, wisdom is for all seasons. And some of you need the test of success to see what's in your heart and what you would do with more buying power and more time. And other of us need a different test, according to God's divine sovereignty. And as we continue to read, we get test number two. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11. My son... Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Some of you are like, I'll sign up for the test of success, please, because the second test comes with discipline adversity, things that God will do to get your attention and to bring you correction. This is the test of correction. In fact, it says, don't detest these times in your life 
when God is going to bring you to a moment with him where he gets your attention so that he can offer you some course correction in the way that your life is not perfectly aligning with his will. And so I hope all of your hands go up at some point in honor of the reality that all of us need course correction. And the danger of this test is not simply that we can have too much buying power for sin, but we can actually harden our hearts towards the goodness of God trying to bring us back to his good plan. It says don't despise it, don't detest it. You all have reference points to your own life where you've gotten some instruction and correction and your first reaction is, you know, you might be right, but I wish you weren't. I don't like that you're right right now. I think of one of the people in my life that God has blessed me with in her correction for my life. And husbands, maybe this is true of your life. Your wife. She knows you better than you know yourself sometimes. And I thought of one scenario as I was like, Lord, how do you do this in my life? Well, you bring people into my life oftentimes. Um, I have, if you don't know me, I have a huge sweet tooth. And um, my wife loves me. And she doesn't want me to continually have to go to the dentist and deal with cavities. So when the moment comes, typically it's like on a date. We go to a movie and I'm like, should we get some snacks? You know, popcorn? And, and, uh, and then she'll look at me and says, don't get any candy. And I think to her, I don't like that you said that. <laughs> I kind of detest that you said that. I kind of despise that there's something I really like that's bad for me, and you're reminding me it's bad for me because you're right, and I wish you weren't. Well, welcome to the pursuit of God in your life. And of course, my wife is motivated by her love for me, and she's pointing out things that are bad for me. And the problem is, is I like candy more than I hate the dentist. And just as sure as success will reveal an idol of your heart, namely yourself, correction will reveal things that you cling to at the cost of your life. When God comes in to bring correction into your life, which by the way, has been the entire sermon series on the book of Proverbs. Our first reaction oftentimes is, I, you may be right, but I wish you weren't. I despise you for that particular truth. I'm more interested in the choose-your-own-adventure path with God. Some of you may have already felt it as we had to go through a, a, a verse of the Bible that could be used to teach on tithing. It's like, oh, you go, here we go. We're going to church, and they're talking about giving God my increase. And, man, if, if I hear one more sermon about God wanting my money, I'm just going to stop believing in God. Well, it's like you might have a problem with worship of money and go through the list. We taught a sermon on pride. It's like, wow, man, I don't, I don't like that you think I'm prideful. That really makes me think that I don't want to be humble now. <laughs> We talked about loving the enemy. It's like, well, I think, I think I'll skip that sermon series because I actually love hating my enemies. And I don't necessarily want correction in that area of my life. But here's the question of this test. Here's the question that the test of correction is asking you. Do you believe that God is causing you to do something difficult and even painful 
because he loves you. Because that, in fact, is what the proverb is offering us. It says, the way that you get through this correction test, the way that you overcome despising so that God can continually instruct your life and prevent you from loving things that will kill you, the second verse, for whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father the son in whom he delights. The question of success is, who do you honor? The question of correction is, can God correct your life and you not think that he's angry at you or mad at you or disappointed in you or has uh, bad intentions? Can you still believe that he loves you? And so I love that they use the example of one of the great ways that correction and love has to intertwine in the life of humanity, and that is between parents and their children. When you're a child, you despise the discipline they offer you. And yet, have you noticed as you get older and older, you look back and you're so grateful for the ways that your parents did not let you off the hook? When you're a child, it's like it's time to practice the piano. It's like, I don't want to practice the piano. When you're an adult, you're so grateful that they made you. When you're a child, it's like, you better learn a second language and I'm going to help you expose. I don't want to. I like English. If you're an adult, you love that they pushed you. I'm actually going through a moment with my son in whom I delight right now that gives me this picture of like, oh, this is, this is going to be a painful correction in your life. So he, he just turned four this summer. And he still carries his blanket around everywhere. So, and, and for me, I think that's so cute. But I realize that at a certain age, like, if he goes all the way up to 18 and he's still carrying his blanket everywhere, I, I, that's a failure on my part. That is not good. He needs to learn that there are ways to feel safe and protected and overcome difficult things without the safety blanket. So at, at some point in the near future, and this, is, this stays between us, please, <laughs> I'm going to sit him down and have a very difficult conversation that will cause him tears and it will cause him pain, and I'm going to remove something from his life that he needs to grow beyond. And it is a tiny picture of what God is doing for every single one of us in all of his discipline. Discipline and chastening is those painful moments of God that are part of him growing us up into the perfect stature of the maturity in Christ. There's a quote that I'll share, and it's, It's probably a misquote, but it's from Michelangelo. Some of you have probably heard this. Someone once asked Michelangelo, allegedly, how on earth did you take a giant block of marble and create this beautiful statue of David? And Michelangelo says, I removed all the parts of marble that wasn't David. It was in there the whole time. He just had to chip away the parts of the the marble block that wasn't the statue. And without verifying whether he actually said that, it is a beautiful picture of God taking things and chasing us and removing parts of our life that is correction because he loves us. When you've had to let go of a relationship that you thought was marriage or a job that you thought was a career, 
a season of life in a certain city or school or place, and it's just shifting, there's a moment where you feel like just flinching your fist. But wisdom in that test says, you know what? God is doing something in moving me and shifting me and correcting my life towards his perfect will that is just removing a part of my life that wasn't perfectly his. The test of correction is really a test of how much you've received the beautiful love that God has for his sons and his daughters in whom he delights. Now the final test. The final test, skip ahead to verse 21. My son, speaking of wisdom, my son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way and your foot will not stumble. You will lie down, you will not Be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of trouble from the wicked one when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. So with the lens on wisdom being applied to real life, We just read it. This is the test of the troubling times. It is not a passage of scripture that I have to read and give to a portion of the sanctuary knowing that some of you are just sailing through life and there will be no trouble that befalls you. It is a verse that every single one of us, when you read it, when you receive it as it's read to you, you can take it and say, I needed that. Because life for all of us is full of trouble. And and even in this small section of a description of trouble, it says some of it will be sudden terror. It comes in the middle of the night. It flashes across your phone. It's as fast as a fire or a hurricane. It's as terrible as a war. It's the world we live in right now. It says some of it will will come trouble from from when the wicked one is just surrounding you. It comes in the form of fallen people living all around you and causing trouble to your life. It's not a matter of if it comes. It's just a matter of when. And one of the great tests of the faith that we are built up in is we say, okay, Lord, I want to trust you in everything is trusting God in the moments that terror tempts us to fear. The test of trouble is a question of confidence. Do you trust that a life built on the wisdom of God's design, although it will not be free of trouble, the promise is is that you can sleep sweet right through it, knowing that you're not putting confidence in your own ways. You're not putting confidence in your own understanding because trouble is some of the most confusing time you can go through. But it says very clearly, the Lord will be your confidence. The Lord 
building your life on his design, his instruction, his wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. When your life is standing on wisdom, you walk out of the sanctuary and the trouble befalls you and somehow, by the grace of God, you sleep through the night. The people who walk in the wisdom of God are no longer living under the tyranny of terror and panic and worry and anxiety because what we believe about God is that in troubling times, God is not moved. If you build your house on the rock of his wisdom, the storm will come, the waves will hit, but the house will not fall. And it's something that in the questionnaire you can check that you believe, but until you go through the sudden terror, you will not be able to look unto the power of God's goodness as your confidence. It is a test that awaits all of us. And this test, in combination of all three ultimately, just like our whole series has attempted to do, is only passed. Not when we do better with trying to memorize wisdom and theology and, and say, okay, I'll be ready for the test. The only way that this test is ever passed is in the person of Christ. I'll read the summation of all of these in Christ in John chapter 16. The context of which, which is Jesus talking to his disciples before the cross. Where he would reject his own version of earthly success and willingly be led like a lamb to the slaughter to be chastised for our sin. And in doing so, in his most troubling hour of sorrow, he would say, nevertheless, no long, not my will, but your will be done. And for the joy set before him, he endures the test. Unto completion, the author and finisher of the faith is Christ. The, the, the examination of whether or not you will make it through is an examination of whether or not you believe the gospel. In John 16, he says, giving them the gospel. These things I've spoken to you that in me you would have peace. Not in all of your hopes and dreams of the restoration of the throne of David and the expulsion of the Roman Empire. Not in your righteousness and your ability to live out the law, but in me you would have peace. And then he said, in the world you'll have tribulation." It's a promise you can bank on. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. How? The cross. His wounds have brought us healing. His resurrection has given us life. And in him we are more than conquerors for any terror that befalls us. There is nothing to lose sleep over if you are in Christ. And so we'll end our entire series once again by looking to Christ as our only hope in being wise people.
And also, as the reward of all of this, the simplicity of following Jesus and building our life upon his wisdom. As he said to his disciples, and he said to us now, be of good cheer. Cheer up, guys. The night before he was betrayed, he said, I want to lift your spirits. Be of good cheer. You'll have trouble, but I've overcome. Be of good cheer. You'll have correction, but all of your correction will be covered by grace, and you will be accepted as a son in whom the Father delights. Be of good cheer. And this is the reward of Proverbs. We'll end with this. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 13. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. May the fruit of our time in Proverbs together, the fruit of you receiving any instruction that the Lord has imparted to you through this is that we would be a holy and set-apart people through the ups and downs of the successes and failures of life. Through the headline news that is sudden terror and trouble from the evil one, we are people who come in good news, with good cheer, to celebrate the goodness of God, knowing that we have overcome.